What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Aguirre. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different complete guy, which is the guy who walked walkways of San Quentin's death row and without a gang, without a, a group of people around me, it was just me. Soon after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then he said, we're going to do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out so that you're... <laughs> no, no, that's actually funny. That's not, and it's funny, and I'll tell you why. Gonna, that's a good one, Matt. No, I'll tell you why. Look, I wasn't Welcome to Death Row Diaries, the only podcast hosted live from Death Row. I'm Matt Ralston. And I'm William Aguirre. Today we got to talk about James Whitey Bulger, famous gangster that I'm sure a lot of people have heard of. But Bill, you are an expert on this case and you're going to give us the inside scoop of you know, how he kind of maneuvered around the prison system uh, because... Unfortunately, you're on death row, so you're an expert on this. Yeah, no, absolutely. We have a few listener-submitted questions. You can submit your questions to our Facebook and Instagram page. That is facebook.com slash deathrowdiaries or Instagram deathrowdiaries. Also, check out our Patreon page where you will get bonus episodes and material that is not available to the general public. You can give a couple dollars a month and, you know, it helps support the show. We go deep on the Patreon page, Bill, if you know what I mean. So real quick, we have a question from Marcus. So Marcus wants to know, Bill, do you know a guy named Tyquan Cox in San Quentin? And have you ever had any interactions with him? Yeah, I'm sure you can't say much at all about it, but I mean, is he in a position like you where there are lawyers and cases moving forward? Oh, absolutely. His case is an appeal. And yeah, when, when it comes to solid guys like that or guys that are in prison that uh, are here for, you know, whatever reason, but their case is continuing, uh, I'm always reluctant to speak about their cases or anything, but I can say that I know the guy. The question was, did I know him or have I heard him? And I think the answer is absolutely. I know him quite well. And I spent many years in the same yard with him, as I mentioned. And uh, yes, his case is on appeal. And therefore, it's one of the reasons I won't discuss his case, because it is on appeal here. And I, I extend that type of um, 
courtesy to all guys that go on the, you know, if you're dead already or your face is uh, done, it, it doesn't really matter. But if you're here on sync with death row and your case is pending, I stay pretty much away from the case unless they personally have told me, listen, I want you to talk about the case. I want you to analyze what they did to me. I'm innocent or whatever reason, or I'm guilty for whatever uh, position they take, then I would take the liberty to speak about it. But until then, I won't speak about him personally or his case. All right. Well, thank you, Marcus, for the question. I know a lot of listeners have sent questions in, and I'm going to get to those. We're going to get to those in the next week, and we do appreciate it. We're just a little bit backlogged. Anyway, Bill, what fascinates you about Whitey Bulger? Why do you know more about this case than a lot of others? Well, there's a fascination with the Irish mob. This guy, um, look, he's, <laughs> it's really hard to, you know, the name this thing, this guy, the, the devil himself. Uh, this guy is, you know, a gangster, a killer, an arm robber, a hijacker, a, a freaking racketeer, loan sharker. But he's also an informant. And he was an informant for many years. He put a lot of people in prison. This guy was a bad guy all the way around. He was a feared guy. He was also the head of the Winter Hill Gang at one point. Um, you know, on the run, on the run for 16 years. This guy was so good at what he did. This is where the fascination comes. That he, instead of the cops flipping him, he flipped the freaking FBI. He got the FBI in his payroll, which is insane. He was able to do this stuff. But yeah, this guy. I mean, for all intended purposes, very interesting guy. And as opposed to Sammy the Bull, where Sammy the Bull was a solid guy throughout his career, never pulled on anybody, always a stand-up guy, a killer. Same thing as, as Whitey Bulger. The difference is that they put Sammy the Bull in a very bad position. John Gotti talked bad about him, was basically implicating him in a bunch of murders, and Sammy then flipped at the very end. And this is at the end of his career as a monster. James Joseph Whitey Bulger is a complete different animal. This guy was an informant for decades. He was telling, feeding information to the FBI as a trampoline to become more powerful. So he was using basically the FBI as a tool in order for him to excel. So, yeah, very interesting case. Why not the reverence for the Irish mob the way there is for the mafia? My theory is... There's a lot of wearing Timberlands and cargo shorts and, you know, dirty wife beaters, not the silk suits, not the um, the medallions, you know, not not that kind of thing with the Irish mob. Yeah, you know, the Irish mob, there's not that much known about them because they haven't been revered in movies. Like, they haven't been revered or looked upon in a romantic sense like The Godfather and all these other mob movies and you know, the guy in gold chains and Donnie Brasco and stuff. You know, the, the Irish mob almost gives you a sense of a blue-collar type of mob, just as dangerous. These guys are deadly. They, they carried out hits just like the, the Italian mob. These guys were like blue-collar guys. So the guys that would, you know, they pulled up in a Chevy instead of a freaking uh, Ferrari or Porsche. These guys were more of the, 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 the ground, uh, nose to the grinder type of guys that would, so I think that's the reason, but they're just as deadly, even in some cases, even more so. Let me call that. 
Yeah, we got to get to Whitey Bulger, but I just, I got to ask because not that many people know actual mafia guys like you do. And with the Winter Hill gang, with Whitey Bulger, these guys were really into getting jacked. You know, they were maxing out their bench presses and doing the kind of, you know, the workout where they got the big guns and stuff. And I kind of have the impression that the Italian mafia guys are more into living like a luxurious regal lifestyle. And I, I kind of feel like they don't ever work out, but I, I have no idea, no basis for that opinion. Yeah, I'm not, you know, as much as I've looked at these guys, I don't know too much about their workout routine. <laughs> Whitey Bolger was never a big guy. Um, he was never a guy who was in the gym all the time. He's a killer. He used a gun to kill people. He used sometimes a, a club to beat people to death. Um, but yeah, you're, the, the, the whole blue collar thing is what I'm trying to. Is these guys were the guys would pick up a baseball bat, take you down if they had to. With the Italian mob were more finesse. So they, yeah, they killed you with guns and stuff. And they were very violent. But yeah, you're right. They wore the gold chains and silk suits. They were in Club 54. They were or whatever that club was in New York. They did a lot of of, of high signing. A lot of. Uh, you look at me stuff a guy got. They're dressed in silk suits. They had all the, you know, it was very interesting. But these guys, they, they worked, you know, in the back yard factories, in, in garages. I mean, their whole hangout, the Winter Hill Gang's hangout, was a freaking garage. It wasn't a social club. It's a freaking garage. Because they planned their murders. Yeah, that's why it just doesn't have the appeal of the mafia. Because they're hanging out in this mechanic shop, and it's like, Guys, you're stacking money. Like, let's um, step it up a little bit. But I guess it's kind of their whole, I don't know if it's a shtick, but the whole aesthetic, like you said, it's this blue collar thing. So let's talk about Bolger's upbringing and kind of when and where and how that led him into uh, becoming this notorious thug. Okay, well, let me give you kind of an overview of this guy. So, of course. His name is James Joseph Whitey Bolger. He was born September 3rd, 1929, which gives you kind of the, the, the reign of how long he was around doing this stuff. Um, he, he is, um, he, you know, he's from the Winter Hill Gang. Didn't start off there, but he ended up being their boss. And it's in the, in the Winter Hill neighborhood of Somerville, Massachusetts. Um, he went into hiding in 1994 after John Connolly, his FBI handler, gave him a tip that he was going to be indicted under a RICO Act, and he went on land for 16 years until his arrest in 2011. He was tried for, or he was indicted for 19 murders based on testimony of Kevin Weeks, one of his associates and other criminals. Um, Whitey Bolger was an informant since at least 1975. There are reports that say that he was an informant since 1971. He provided information about his rivals, which was basically what White did, he wanted to use as a tool. He used everything he could as a tool, which most family members won't. And that tool was the FBI to kind of subdued the, um, I'm going to mess this name up, but it's the Patrica crime family, which is an Italian-based family in Boston, Providence, and Rhode Island. And in return, he was given a green light to do whatever he wanted, basically to continue his criminal activities. At one point, um, he fed information to the FBI that got most of the Patricia family put in prison. 
Santa Monica, California, and he was extradited back to Boston, and of course, he was murdered in prison. So that's the overview of his life. Crime boss, uh, as well known, until he became really the number one guy on the most wanted list. He was only behind one guy. Get this. The only guy higher higher up in the America's most wanted list of the FBI was Osama bin Laden. So you get an idea how powerful this guy was at one time. So, look, his parents, blue-collar parents, James Joseph Boulders, his father, and his mother, Veronica, uh, he was a union laborer and longshoreman until he lost his arm, meaning his in an industrial accident, and it basically into the family of poverty. In 1938, they moved to a housing project in South Boston, and really that's where he began his career. He has a brother named William and a brother named John who excelled. They're professionals in, uh, in regular life. I won't mention them too much because, of course, as I said, they're professionals. They're people well in good reputation, but here's a perfect example of a family who rose or raised other children, boys, and they came out well. Why did you to be a mass murderer, monster, racketeer, and really bad guy? So, the name, everybody asks, well, how did he get this freaking name? Why, he's not that pale? Well, actually, it kind of gives you a raise in the eyebrow. He got, instead of the name getting it from most other mobsters, other guys and kids that you're beating up or because he was a bad guy, he freaking got this name from cops. The cops gave him this name because of his blonde hair and he hated the name and he preferred to be called Jim, which is crazy, oh, James, Jim, you know, or Boots. And the name Boots came from because as a young boy, he always wore cowboy boots, which that seems kind of odd, but he wore cowboy boots and in those cowboy boots, he always carried at least two switchblades. So the name Boots. But, um... Yeah, this guy's street life started early. He was known as a thief, a really good fighter, and by the age of 14, he joins the Shamrocks. Big stretch there, Irish, right? And he gets into trouble early. He gets into armed robbery, assault, forgery. He's sent to juvenile reformatory, police crimes. He's finally released in 1948. His life goes into the military, goes to the Air Force. But look, this guy's a bad guy. In the Air Force, he's sent to prison because of assaults. He's, um, finally, the military police is tired of this guy, and he takes off. And they arrest him for AWOL, for going AWOL. I mean, you, you leave without permission. And in 1952, he's finally discharged and returns to Boston, Massachusetts, where he really begins his criminal career. He was a petty thief, he's kind of a bad kid. But it's in 1956 that he turned into the guy that we let her know as Whitey Bulger. Yeah, I think Whitey is cooler than Boots as a nickname, so I don't really know what his problem is. But So what event kind of turns him here? Well, you know, he goes back to the neighborhood. Everybody knows who this guy is. So he begins to really... Um, his, his power. And what I mean by that is, he's a young guy, he's a bad guy, and people are afraid of him. So in 1956, he gets arrested. 
actually hooked up to a to a mob. These guys were elderly. So in 1950, he gets arrested for armed robbery again and hijacking, which he's doing for these smaller gangs, as I mentioned, the Shamrocks. And he's also associated with the Killens. And the Killens are an Irish mob gang. But he's not really known for being with them at this time. He goes off to prison, and there he volunteers to become one of the eight prisoners. They go into a program called the MK Ultra Program. And what this program did was it gave these guys under the the umbrella of the CIA. And it kind of brings you into like, what the hell? My whitey bulls are the CIA? Yeah. In prison, they began to experiment on him and 18 other guys under false names, by the way. And they were giving them LSD and other forms of drugs to see how they would respond. Matt, you and I have talked about uh, Manson and that he was involved in one of these programs as well when he was in the High Ashbury District where the CIA is involved in giving these guys uh, LSD, giving them all these drugs to see how they're going to respond. Well, Whitey Bullish is another one of those experiments. He was fed these drugs for a number of years and in return, they would cut his uh, set shorter by a number of years, if he participated, you can imagine, man, given being given pure LSG, OO25 liquid acid, and the response was he was having three voices, he was really turning into a complete madman. So you wonder how he turned so terrible, right? Yeah, and this happened a lot with this program because they were just experimenting, and, you know, Manson, Ted Kaczynski, a bunch of other people who turn out to be killers, you know, were, were experimented on. And yeah, if like, if listeners don't know about MK ultra, I would encourage you to read up on it. Cause it's, it's just crazy. The level of experimenting they were doing on, on these people, a lot of them prisoners. So yeah, I mean, he's getting high dosages of LSD for, you know, day after day after day for weeks and weeks. And so, I think it kind of turned him schizophrenic. You know, he says he's hearing voices all the time, but he's with it enough to understand that if he um, lets it be known that he's hearing voices, that he may be committed to a facility. So he's kind of aware that he's off now is my perception of it.
1965, he's granted parole. And, man, look at this, man. This is the last time, 1965, that this guy ever sees a prison cell again. For the next 46 years, his reign as a criminal is nonstop. So, after his release, he becomes a janitor and a construction worker. But that didn't last. He then became a bookmaker and loan shark for Donald Killian, who is an Irish monster and who ruled a gang in South Boston for 20 years called the Killian. And those members were Donnie, Kenny, Eddie, along with Billy O'Sullivan and Jack Couric. All these guys were warriors and members of the Killian gang. And this is really where this stuff turns into just a complete butt bloodbath. And Whitey Bolger is at the center of this. And it really is because of a mistake. A guy named Kenny, who is one of the Killians, he ends up killing Michael Mickey Dower of the Mullen Gang. And talk about when you start making mistakes. Whitey then decides to make his bones by killing, he decides to make his bones by killing Paul McConnell. I know I fripped that name all up, but mistakenly kills his brother Donald. So these guys are running around killing people. And it's like, ah, it's close enough as his brother. And they kill him. That sets off a freaking war. Because to avenge his brother, this guy, Paul McGonnell, or McGoodle, he goes off and kills Billy O'Sullivan. And that just begins to this, this avalanche of murders. They just start killing each other back and forth. Let me call back. Hey, man. Yeah, so these freaking high school dropouts, if they even got to high school, they're terrorizing this neighborhood of South Boston. It's like a war zone. Yeah, it is. But see, Whitey Bulls is always considered a highly intelligent guy. And, and, and you see it here. Because look what he does. He sees the situation and he sees it for what it is. I say, so the difference between him and Simon the Bull, this guy, Whitey Bulger, was all about one thing. His power. He didn't care about how he did it. As long as he won the game, he would use whatever assets or whatever tools he could use, even betraying his closest allies. So check this out. So during this whole war, now Whitey Bulls in the hot seat, they know he, he screwed up and killed the wrong guy. And now they've turned around and killed Billy O'Sullivan. So he turns around and he approaches Howie Winter, who is the boss of the Winter Hill gang, and he tells him, hey, listen, I can end this war. And I can do it by killing the leader of the killing gang, who he's supposed to be with. So what happens? Donald Killing is gunned down outside his home. And although there's disputes about who did the killing, it was Whitey. And how does he maneuver this whole thing? He has a sit-down in South Boston between the winter, between Howie Winter, Joseph Russo, who is the the capo regime of the Patricia family, crime family, and in this meeting, he somehow has now put himself in the position where he's in the meeting. So is he the king of the Mullins, and it turns he leaves that, that gang meeting by becoming a super gang. They join forces. So already, 
Bolger is showing how he's able to mastermind and even trick tricksters. It was once said that Whitey Bolger could teach the devil tricks. So it's right there that he sees the opportunity. He sees it. He's not the head of the family, but he's at the table. Now, here's where things really turn weird. He is already close to an FBI agent named John uh, Connell. This guy has already figured a way of how to get these other guys out of the way by not firing a shot. And what he does is in 1979, the rest of the gang, being the Winter Hill gang, which was all the big guys, uh, Howie and his, the, the Mullins, they get arrested. Who are left out of that indictment? Miraculously, it's Whitey and a guy named Fleming. They're not arrested. But there's where he sees his opportunity because he it wasn't that he saw the opportunity. He created the situation. He got those guys arrested so he could take over, and that's exactly what he does. He takes over the entire freaking mob for the Irish. And Fleming is a freaking Italian mobster, but he's also an informant, and he had been an informant since 1965. So there are back and forth of how it happened, but John, John Connolly, who is the, the FBI handler, handling both these guys, now has Whitey Bulger, and their whole freaking point of attack is to put away the Italian mob in Boston. To do so, they give Whitey Bulger and Fleming a free ride, meaning conduct business, loan shark, racketeering, murder, anything you want, long as you give us a case against the Italian mob. So is there some racism involved here? I mean, why are they siding with the Irish mob who are as bad as, if not worse, than the Italian mob? Well, the FBI at that time, their task force for organized crime did not have Whitey Bolger or the, or the Irish mob on their radar. They existed, but they did not have them on their radar. They did, in fact, have the mob, the Italian mob, on their radar, so therefore it was all about priorities. They wanted to get rid of the Italian mob. They already got rid of the head of the Winterhill gang and all these other gangs. And they left Whitey Bolger and Fleming in charge, and they're both informants. So the FBI believed that, well, look, it may be the Irish mob, but we, we're the ones taking care of them. Well, all contraire, mon frere, the Whitey Bolger and Fleming flipped John Connolly. He became an associate who, by the way, is his handler from the FBI, and his Bob Morris both become compromised because they're taking money and payoffs from Whitey Bolger in order to tip him off on what's going on and basically giving him a green card to do whatever he wants. Yeah, so, he kind of lucked out. What? He kind of lucked out that he found this FBI guy who would accept a bribe, right? Oh, absolutely. But it wasn't just from anybody. It was from Whitey Bolger. Connolly oh. only took deals from Bolger. And although he believed that he was handling Bolger, the opposite was true. Bolger was already the head of basically the FBI task force because their two main guys, Morris and Connolly, are working for Whitey Bolger. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Bolger's now 
he's uh he's got the chess pieces set and everything's looking good his plan is working out if i were him i'd be paranoid that someone was just gonna kill me though So what's the extent of Bolger's criminal activity? Is he just kind of a behind-the-scenes guy who, who orders hits, or is he out in the field? Like, what's his kind of M.O.? Basically, this guy was everything I've said. He extorted people, he loan sharked, he killed them. 
dealer, he, he actually was giving arms to the IRA. So he was working within the government. He was all these bad things you can think of. Whitey Bulger had those hats on. Imagine that he's supplying arms now to the IRA. Okay? This is all facts. They're saying that he made more than $30 million in two and a half years just dealing, becoming middleman between him and the IRA for drugs and arms. $30 million. He also was part of the lottery. One of his buddies and his crew won the lottery. And Bolger ends up with the tickets. So now he's already he's laundering his own money, too. Because he can prove where he got all the money from. Well, I won the lottery. It's incredible how this guy's luck really basically runs. Um, so it's just interesting how this whole thing goes on. And um, at one point, it just became so obvious what was going on that they Conley got arrested, his handler, as well as Morris, the head of the FBI's task force. And Whitey Bulger suddenly goes into hiding. Why? Because Morris and Conley tipped them off. They told him, look, they're just going to recall you. There's an indictment coming down. You need to leave. And Whitey does what he does best. He disappears like the devil. He makes her believe that he never existed. He goes in the lab for 16 years. And people can't find him. How are they going to find him? He's got connections with the IRA. He's got probably someone in the, in, the, in the neighborhood of 8 to $12 million cash. They're not going to catch this guy. And they don't. 16 years this guy was on the lam. So let's go back to these murders. So I'm a little confused here. Does he enjoy murdering people? Because I feel like he could have someone else... Uh, do that for him, or is it just cleaner? You know, you have less a chance of the information getting out if you do it yourself. Obviously, there's not someone else to talk about it. I mean, why is he personally killing all these people? He likes it. Look, when you're in that world, and I know this for a fact, I've spoken to people who have done exactly what he did. They're hitmen, they killed for a particular loyalty to a gang. He does it because he likes it. He likes the accolades that he feels after he does it. His reputation grows. It's almost an addiction of what your reputation, how it grows. It feeds you. You walk into a place, Jesus, that's Whitey Bolger. He killed such and such. Gotta watch out for that guy. It's ego. It's the love of that game. Yes, to answer your question, he enjoys what he does. How selective is he, do you think? So... Obviously, there's some guys that need to get whacked because they're going to squeal or whatever. But is he crossing a line here? Like, is he just killing a guy? Like, I, you know, I remember the, the scene in Goodfellas where he kills the guy over a little a little argument just because he can get away with it, basically. I mean, it is I don't I don't know if he if he enjoys the, you know, the act so much that he's got like a thirst for blood now or. Uh, you know, I I don't know how you would know this, but do you think he's just killing for the hell of it at certain this points? Call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Um, Look, with these guys, it doesn't matter the offense. It's the disrespect. It's like it's as I call it stepping on someone's shoes. If you do some, if you stole from Whitey Bulls, whether it's a million dollars or fifty cents, it's the act that you stole from him, and he has to immediately 
kill you. It's that simple. It's, it's principle for these guys. That sounds kind of crazy, but it's about principle. So Bulger's on the run, and I feel like I like his chances here. He's not a tall guy. He does His appearance doesn't really stand out in any way. He's got stacks and stacks of cash, and so I think he can do this. But the main thing, I would think, is you can't go back to Boston. You can't call anyone from Boston. You got to cut all ties. And if you do that, I would think you could be successful at being on the lam. Absolutely. That's exactly what he does. As I said before, he's a highly intelligent guy and a highly intelligent criminal with a lot of money. He knew exactly what he had to do. But most importantly, he doesn't... Remember I said before he was a white-collar guy? This guy didn't have to have on $3,000 Italian loafers in business suits and Cadillacs. That's not what this guy was about. This guy looked like someone's grandfather. He didn't have tattoos all over himself. He didn't have facial tattoos. He looked at a white beard. His hair was combed back. Very quiet guy. Very reserved. Very intelligent. He didn't make noise. He cut all ties. Of course they would. The only reason they caught him was, at the very end, someone that knew him, uh, that was in Iceland, told on him. They never would have caught this guy because of the money he had and because he cut all ties. He was living in Santa Monica, California. But yeah, this guy's his chances are good. They were 16 years on the lamp. That's very difficult for a guy who's involved with the mob and likes that lifestyle so much for him to disappear and never have connections to anybody again. That's extremely difficult to do. It improves the intelligence, the intelligence that you're dealing with here. You're, you're dealing with a uber criminal, a criminal who has himself at the forefront of his thoughts. It's about self-preservation. And that's why I said he had no loyalty to anybody but himself. That's why he was so uh, successful at eluding capture for so many years. So why Santa Monica, you know, densely populated community in Southern California where there's millions and millions of people is, is it uh, almost a reverse psychology thing? I mean, why, you know, hiding in plain sight, I would think you got a better chance if you're uh, in Mexico or in, um, I don't know, even, even somewhere in, in Arkansas, like, you know, people in LA, they watch a lot of TV You've been on America's Most Wanted like 15 times. Uh, what do you think his philosophy was? Or did he just like living in Santa Monica, which, by the way, uh, people do. It's a great place to live on the living index, well, you know? I think it's a little bit of both. Oh, it's all true. Look, what's the furthest part, what's the furthest part of the country in the United States away from Boston, Massachusetts? California. August. Highly, highly populated. He did not stick out. He's just an old white guy living in with his, with his, his wife, his girl. That's it. He had different names. He had perfect IDs provided by the FBI, by the way. So he had everything he needed. I think it was just about he liked it there. It was very much far from, as far away from uh, Massachusetts. I think it's the perfect place for him. He's a white guy. Looks like everybody else, like another elderly couple. Who's gonna look at him and say, "Oh yeah, Whitey Bulger"? No. 
Yeah, unless he was doing a bunch of weird stuff around the neighborhood to draw attention to himself, but it seems like he wasn't. He did. Yeah. So yeah, he lived in an apartment complex. It wasn't a four thousand dollar a month rental. No, it was just a normal middle class apartment. He's living on his pension, which he had by the way, in the wall of his freaking apartment. He had hundreds of thousands of dollars stuff there, along with a bunch of guns too. Look, when they caught him, they just basically drove to the thing and walked up to him and said, um, are you such and such a person? He had ID, they went to his house, they went to his girl, they found out it was him, and he just basically just got cuffed up and he walked away. Yeah, and so talk about how prison is going to treat a guy like this. He's really old, but he's... I don't, I don't know. I, I, I didn't think there was a stigma against the mafia guys so much, people that are killing essentially other criminals or other gangsters. But he's also pissed a lot of people off. So what are his chances here? How's it going to look for him going forward? So, yeah, things are not going to go good for this guy. Look, he is a highly sought-after informant, and the Italian mob knows who he is. They're gonna know about it because he's gonna go to trial on all these murders, all these racketeers. This stuff, the statute of limitations, not gonna run out. It's a federal indictment against him. So they're gonna be prepared for this guy. And as we soon find out after this, look, in prison, prison's a very small world. When you've pissed off the highest ranking mobsters in the world, there are consequences. And unfortunately for Whitey Bolger, finds out really quickly that once you turn on the mob, they find ways to get you, especially if you're in prison and don't know how to navigate that world. So yeah, we'll see how this works out on part two of our episode. Until then, I've been Matt Ralston.